Pray with me, Heavenly Father, today. Thank you for the uh, mighty things that you're doing within this uh, small body of believers here in Linwood, Washington. I pray that you would continue to give to us everything that we need to accomplish the mission which you've called us to uh, within this community. Lord, so many people uh, need a Savior. So many people need the victory that you've won for us by your life, by your death, and by your victorious resurrection. I pray that this morning we would turn our hearts to your word. Lord, that uh, you would help me to preach so that you would be glorified and so that many people would be uh, encouraged in you, strengthened in you. Lord, I'm not worthy uh, to assume this task, uh, so I ask for your Holy Spirit to fill me, to guide me, and to use me so that I can deliver today the bread of life, your word. So I pray that you'd be glorified today in this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus is your victor. He is the one who went before you to fight every battle. As we read these scriptures for the first Sunday in Lent, I want us to see that Jesus is our victor. He is our David who crushed the Goliath of Satan. David serves as a type of Christ for us. He is the one who we can approach his throne boldly. We can go before the throne of grace with boldness to find grace and mercy in our time of need. And he is the one who entered into the wilderness for 40 days, was tempted by the devil, and defeated Satan on our behalf. Ultimately going to the cross, where the head of the serpent, Satan, was crushed. And so we find our victory in Jesus today. The first reading, the Old Testament lesson, is from 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter. Then he, that is King David, and it was before he was king, was a boy, David took his staff in his hand, chose five sm smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of a shepherd's bag, and with his sling in hand approached the Philistine, that is Goliath, the mighty man of war. Meanwhile, the Philistines with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and to the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. Here it is, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. Now, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. 
he took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the, the sheath, and he killed him. He cut off his head with the sword. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And the epistle lesson comes from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he, that is Jesus, did not sin. This victor, let us then approach his throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand for the reading of our gospel lesson. Our gospel comes from the fourth chapter of Matthew's gospel. Today I read the gospel lesson. In your midst, within the tradition of the church, we call this area where we sit the nave. And that's where we get the term navy or uh, a boat. Uh, we, we call this the boat because we're all in the boat together, right? We're sailing through life together, but we also remember that Jesus is with us in this boat. We don't journey through this life alone. We journey through this life with Jesus, and he is in our midst. That's why traditionally the pastor will read the gospel lesson uh, from the middle of the nave. So here is the gospel lesson from Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, let these stones become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up on their heads, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down to worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. This is the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. As we examine our gospel lesson today from the fourth chapter of Matthew's gospel, there are two lessons that we learn. The first lesson is, is that Jesus sets the example for how we engage the devil in battle. I hope you understand and realize that we are engaged in battle. And Jesus, he sets the example for us in how we engage Satan in battle. But the second and, and really the most important lesson is that Jesus does battle in our place. Jesus is your victor. He goes before you and he fights battles that you have no strength to fight on your own. So the first point is this, is that Jesus sets the example for how we battle against Satan. 
First, we need to talk about the battle. Many people in the church don't understand that we are engaged in battle right now. One aspect of the nature of the church is that we are the church militant. We are the church militant. In battle, we engage. But our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against each other. Our battle is not even against an ungodly world. Our battle is against the enemy of our souls. Many people don't understand that, that what it means to, to be a part of the church militant. They don't understand that, that we're engaged in battle. They don't get it. So church, I want you to know today that there is a battle going on. In battle we engage today. Uh, people will, will join ministries within the church. They'll, they'll join the church board, uh, Sunday school ministry, vacation Bible school, youth ministry. And they don't understand that in joining those ministries that they're engaging in battle. They don't understand that, that working within the body of Christ is a battle. You see, every good, good soldier must understand what they're up against. So you need to understand what you're up against. As those called to live as disciples of Jesus, we need to understand that we are up against an enemy and that our battle is not against flesh and blood. When I was a teenager, they would, uh, we were recruited. Uh, we were, what's the word? We were given the opportunity and it was a joy for me. It was, uh, it was something that was very transformative in my life that we were given uh, the task of, of helping out with things like vacation Bible school. I remember my youth pastor, he came to me, his name is Jeff Samness, and he actually used to be a, a youth pastor here many, many decades ago. And he came up to me and he says, would you like to go to a place called Rancho Cucamonga, California? And I said, I have no idea what that is or where that is. And, he, and I, so I said, tell me more about it. And he says, well, we're going to send a team on a mission trip down to Rancho Cucamonga, California, and we're going to help out with a big vacation Bible school program. And I said, sure, I'd love to go. So we packed up in the church bus. We drove down to Rancho Cucamonga, California. And the first thing they did is they began to teach us and to train us of what it means to be doing ministry within their culture, within their community. It was a little different. It was hot down there, about 105 every day. Uh, but one of the first things that we were taught is about this battle that we're engaged in. And the pastor of the church, he took us up onto uh, a high hill overlooking Rancho Cucamonga, California. And he says that there is a battle going on for the souls of people. And we were taught about spiritual warfare. And that when we do vacation Bible school, that when we put the crafts together, that when we teach the lessons, when we go out and we invite people to come, that we're engaged in a battle. You see, the enemy does not want these kids to know Jesus as Savior. So the enemy is going to do everything that he can to prevent the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm so grateful for these pastors, Pastor Ron Sunwall, Pastor Todd Matheson, my youth pastor, Brad Hoganson. They would teach us about the nature of ministry 
so that I would know that when I am involved in Christ's mission as his disciple in this world, that it's not just a bunch of fun things that we do, although it was a lot of fun, but it was actually a battle that we are engaged in. So we need to realize, church, that we are up against an enemy. He does not want to see this church advance within this community. He wants to stop us right where we're at. He actually wants to cause us to to dwindle and to die out. Why? Because he doesn't want the message of the gospel going to an unbelieving world, rescuing people from the grip and the hand of sin, death, hell, and the power of the devil. So we're planning a vacation Bible school program here at Maple Park. And I'm so excited about that. But church, we need to be praying. We need to be praying as we reestablish our vacation Bible school program. We need to pray that we, we do not do this ministry in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own ability. We need to pray that Jesus would go before us. That he would defeat the enemy. And that he would give us success in this mission. Whenever I've been involved in successful VBS outreaches that reach kids with the gospel, sometimes strange things happen. And there's always a struggle. There's always a struggle. And everybody talks about the struggle of VBS and VBS Week because it can be such a powerful ministry. So church, we need to be praying. We need to be praying. We are the church militant. In battle, we engage not against unbelievers. Somebody, some people in the church believe that we're, that we're battling against people, that there's this culture war that we're involved in, and our battle is against uh, wicked people in our community. It's not. It's not. Our battle is against the enemy, Satan. Our battle is not out there against an unbelieving and perverse world. Our battle is right here in our minds, in our hearts. Because if the enemy can can get at us here and here, he can create a whole lot of nasty things within the church that will derail us from the mission that we've been given. So temptation comes and we battle against it. But what tools does God give us in this battle? He gives us a sword for battle. He gives you a sword for battle. Today, you have a sword for this battle. And that sword is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Jesus engaged Satan in the wilderness with God's Word. Every time the devil came against Jesus with a temptation, Jesus fought back. How? With the truth of God's holy word. The devil twisted the scriptures, but Jesus, as the author of truth, came back and he fought against the enemy. He said, it is written. Jesus engaged Satan in the wilderness with God's word. Every time the devil attacked him, 
Every time the devil tempted him, Jesus had the word of God. And the word of God is what fell, caused Satan to fall. The first temptation of Satan will always be in the mind. In a mind that wanders from his word. This was his attack in the Garden of Eden. Satan said to Adam and Eve, Did God really say? Did God really say? That was his attack in the garden to doubt God's word. Did God really say? The sin of Adam and Eve was not just in eating the fruit, but in desiring the very thing that wasn't good for them. It wasn't just the eating of the fruit. It was desiring that thing that they wanted that was not good for them, that would not benefit them. You see, God is not a cosmic killjoy. He's not out to ruin your joy. He's there to bring you into the fullness of joy and to keep you in that joy by living in his holy word, in his holy will. And the devil's still using the same schemes today. He wants us to turn from his word to other words. He wants us to turn from what God has said to what man has conceived in his own mind. And when the mind is deceived, the heart becomes corrupted. So he works in the mind to corrupt us. Everything that we do as a church must be set up against the word of God. Everything that we do. And I'm, I'm so... I'm blessed to be in this church with this board of elders. And uh, you guys should be very grateful for our elder board. Because what we seek to do as a congregation, we're always talking about what does the scripture say? What does the Bible say? What is the Bible teaching us? You see, we have leaders here within the church that desire to lead us according to his word. Because we know that his word leads us, leads us in the direction that we're to go. Which is a life of joy in him. A life of victory in him. So when Jesus engaged in battle, he used the mighty and powerful word of God. Jesus said, it is written. Satan attempted to twist God's word. But Jesus, who's the editor-in-chief of the Word of God, knew it better than any evil force. So you have the Word of God. Take up the sword of the Spirit. Fight the devil by the Word, by the authority of God Almighty. Not by your authority. Not by your strength. Not by your might. Not by your power but by the very authority and power of God himself. You have the sword. It is the word of God. It is the power of God. Do not neglect his word. Martin Luther said it best, one little word shall fell him. Just one little word shall fell the enemy. So church, if you don't have his word stored up in your heart, if you don't know his word, that's a sad thing. It's a sad thing. Read your Bible. Pray the word of God. 
Memorize the word of God. Know your Bible. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, 11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Have you hid God's word in your heart? Why did the psalmist declare, Thine word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee? That I might live according to his commandments. That I might live in his will. So the first lesson is, is that Jesus sets the example for how we engage the devil in battle. But the second and the most important lesson for us today, the second lesson is, is that Jesus does battle in your place. He does battle in your place. I think a lot of preachers are going to preach a passage like this and they're going to put all um, the burden upon you to win the battle. But, but you cannot win this battle. I am so grateful that Jesus went before us to defeat the enemy on our behalf. And his victory is given to us as a free gift. Jesus stands in your stead. And he accomplishes for you what you do not have the, the strength to accomplish on your own. Jesus took on flesh, the second person of the Holy Trinity. Jesus became a man with flesh and blood, just like you and I. So when Jesus walked this earth 2,000 years ago, he understood what it was like to be tempted. He understood what it meant to be hungry, to, to feel emotions, to be sad. He understood what it was like to, to live as a human being, just like you and I. He was tempted in every way we are, yet he was without sin. He had no sin. He was victorious. Where you fail, and where I fail, Jesus was completely and absolutely successful. And he did it for you. He credits you with his victory. He gives to you his victory today. So because you trust in Jesus as your Savior, because of what Jesus did upon the cross by shedding his blood, your sins have been washed away. Your failure has been erased. So when God sees you, he doesn't see your sin. There are so many things that I have done. There are so many things that you have done for which we are so ashamed. But Jesus doesn't see it. His blood washes it away. He doesn't see your failure today. And, and let me tell you this, he, he doesn't simply see a, a, a clean slate. Not only does he wash away our sin, he actually credits you with the very righteousness and holiness of Jesus. So not only does he see you as somebody who has been forgiven, he sees Jesus when he looks at you. 
He sees Jesus' goodness. He sees Jesus' righteousness when he looks at you. So one day I'll stand before God and heaven. This is a hypothetical question. I don't think this question is really asked in heaven. But if it was asked, if this question was asked, why should I let you in? Why should I let you into heaven? What, what answer could I give? I certainly can't, can't say because I've, I've been a good person. I've tried to do good. And, and maybe when the world looks at me, they say, well, he's a, he's a pretty good guy. But I know who I am. I know what's in my mind. I know what's in my heart. And God, he knows my mind and he knows my heart. He's not going to let me into heaven. If he knows who I am. What am I going to say on that day when I stand before God? I'm going to say you shouldn't let me in here. I'm going to say you, 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 I, don't, I don't deserve to be in heaven. But for Jesus. Because of what Jesus did for me. By his life. By his death. By his victory. By his resurrection. Because I've trusted in him and he made a promise to me. But if I believe in him, he forgives me. He washes me clean. And, and he credits me. Kind of like an accountant might credit your account with something good. Or maybe a banker would, I don't know who does that. I know nothing about money. But you, but you might be credited with something good. Your, your bank account shows a million dollars. Wow, I had, I had nothing. And there's a million dollars. He credits us with the very righteousness of Jesus. You have the riches of his grace. You have his victory. You don't need to live under condemnation. Don't live in guilt. Don't live in guilt today. You don't need to live in fear. Because God loves you. He saw you stuck in a battle which you could never win. And he sent his one and only son to battle against every force of evil for you. I have a picture today as we close. This is a Marine, um, Ed Byers, Edward Byers. And he won the Congressional Medal of Honor. There was a doctor, Dr. Phillips, in Afghanistan who was held captive. And Dr. Phillips had absolutely no way of saving himself from the enemy. But Navy SEAL Team 6 with Ed Byers went in, found him. And when the enemy started to shoot, Ed Byers threw himself on Dr. Phillips to take to take whatever was being thrown at Dr. Phillips. So he, he put himself on that man to save that man. 
to absorb the bullets, to absorb the impact so that Dr. Phillips could be saved. And because of his bravery, because of his acts of valor, uh, he received the Congressional Medal of Honor, the highest military honor that there is. That's exactly what Jesus does for you. That's exactly what Jesus does for you. He covers you with himself. He takes every flaming arrow of the evil one for you. So that you, my friend, so that you, brothers and sisters in Christ, can be free, can be free in him. And that's who you are today. Free in Christ because of what Jesus has done for you. Jesus has wrapped his arms around you. Live there today. Trust in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you have done. Thank you for the victory that we have in you. Help us to be a people who live embraced by you, shielded by you, protected by you. Help us to be a people of your word, that we would read your word, that we would pray your word, that we would absorb your word by your spirit, that we would know how to fight the enemy. But Lord, ultimately, remind us that the battle is not ours. The battle is yours. That you go before us, you come behind us. You surround us. You've embraced us. And we are protected in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And all of God's people say, Amen.